Okay, I got something new for you. And it starts. Is that right? It starts right now. Oh, great. That's right. New theme music for the Grace Garage Pod with co-host Jason Pridmore, ladies and gentlemen. It's happening. What do you Did think? you knock that out in your garage somewhere? No, I... Where'd you get this at? Who do we pay millions to? Well, I actually have a subscription to... Um, what's it called? Uh, Storyblocks, audio blocks. And so okay. I finally spent about four hours hunting around for some music so yeah i got new read music and new clothes music as well so people are just gonna they're just gonna hate on that too that's fine let them hate on it but i figure look 121 episodes in i might as well do something different are we really that many yeah yeah that's insane i know that's just crazy isn't it that we're that many uh 121 episodes where's the time gone i don't know dude i don't know um, but you yeah, know, look, well, pe- people have been asking Jason, I've been getting some messages as of late. People want to know how to support the podcast and, and stuff. So we're, we're going to kind of figure all that stuff out, but, um, we got a ton to talk about. So we're going to roll right oh, into it, Jay, because you know, <laughs> I mean, ton. oh my God. I mean, for, first and foremost, to, you know, this is, this podcast is going to be presented by Arai Helmets, but we've got to talk about. MotoGP, Qatar 2, and all three incredible races. Um, we're going to talk about the Moto America test, because if you remember, Jay, we only got to talk about Tuesday, so we didn't even get to talk right. Wednesday. That's so we're right. going to catch everybody up on on what happened in the test that way. There was a World Superbike test as well, a couple-day test that was good in Catalonia. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to touch on, if we have time, this Greg's Ride to the Races stuff, because people want to know. But so before we get into all that, Jay, it's time for news presented or news. What am I talking about? This is presented I by, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this whole podcast is presented by Arai. Wow. Oh, yeah. Hey, Jay, did you know that all Arai helmets are lined with an antimicrobial material? It's true. Weather's getting warm. The interior liner gives you odor resistance, dirt resistance, and those antimicrobials that you love so much. You can stay fresher longer and enjoy a comfortable ride in the latest Arai helmet. Check out AraiAmericas.com and pick what you like, then head down to your local dealer for fitment or grab a new lid. AraiAmericas.com. Oh, yeah. You think I'm not dancing? You're insane. Huh? New music. <laughs> I like it. Okay, it's good. Good. All right. Yeah. I mean, so far, I think you've done okay. All right. I got I got used to our little start jam, though. I did get used to that. You know. I know. And used to jam out to that, but... Well, the guys play it through our headsets on TV, too, when we're doing our show. They do. They mess with us a little bit. They mess with us all the time, so that'll just kick on while we're getting ready to go on there or something. So now they're going to have to find this new track that you got. Uh, I'll I'll give it to them if they need it. No problem. Great. Great. So you want to jump right into it? Yeah, no. I I was thinking for the last few days um, about this podcast, and I just figured... I'm at a little bit of a loss for words because I'm like, there's so many things to talk about. And there's so much greatness that came out of Doha uh, over the last two weeks. Um, The season's obviously kicked off. There's talking points in every single class. And I thought to myself, this could be the longest podcast we've ever done. So (laughs) we definitely need to just get right into it because I watched all three of the races. And um, all three of them had things that were just mesmerizing. So 
we have in the top 10 of this of, of the MotoGP race, the closest top 10, I believe it is, Greg, and the closest top 15 in MotoGP history. Put that in perspective. Miguel Oliveira, who was running up front at one point, ends up 15th, and he's only 8.9 back. 10th place, Alicia Spargro, 5.3 back. And the closest, I believe, that Aprilia has been in a long time, if not maybe uh, in the last few years, to, to winning. But to only be 5.3 back now, that basically means that Alicia is coming onto the front straightaway, and he can still see the, the leader of the race at the end, which I think is, which is big. And there's talking points to the Aprilia as well. Obviously, April 12th is going to be a day that we're going to find out about Marquez being able to come back and ride, but it's also the day that Dovey is going to be testing that Aprilia. So it's going to be an interesting next week, even though we don't have any races this next weekend, there's still going to be a lot of things going on. But Greg, Yamaha comes out of Doha with two wins by their factory riders. Maverick Vinales wins race one, and then this past weekend, Fabio Quattararo wins race two. I'm going to go through the quick top 15, and I'd like to talk about almost each one of these things individually. But it goes Quattararo, Zarco again with a tremendous ride. Martin, the rookie, finishes third after qualifying on pole. Renz, Vinales, Bagnaya, Juan Mir, Bender, Miller, and Espargaro were your top 10. Your points finishers ended up being Bastianini, who again, another class rookie, ends up five and a half seconds off the win. Morbidelli, Paul Espargaro, Brottle who basically came across the line together on the two factory Hondas and Miguel Oliveira ends up 15th. Rossi was 16th, but he was another six seconds behind 15th place Miguel Oliveira. So Greg Yamaha comes out and wins the first two rounds at Doha. I don't think that's where the money would have been placed on. If, if we would have made bets at the beginning of the, of the season, that that would be the case coming out of Doha predominantly been a Ducati track the last few years. I mean, I don't even know what to say about this. It's just been, I mean, the question I have for you, Jason, obviously revolves around having two races at the same racetrack and at, you know, the LaSalle international circuit, because that racetrack has always seemed to me a bit more like a, um, a, a an old Brainerd or a road America, a track that has high speed, that has the opportunity to produce good close racing because it's not, a technical, you know, nightmare to separate riders. That's where I want to start with that. So before yeah. we go any further, is there any truth to that? You've raced it before. You know, it, it, is this a racetrack that if you go back to back, that that's what's created this? Or is this the sign of the year? Meaning, is it no, because it, everybody had, you know, double race weekends on there to figure out settings? The tires didn't change. They were exactly the same allocation from testing yeah. to the race and, you know, to both races. So is is that it? Is that why we had the closest top 10 and closest top 15 of all time? It breeds good racing. I think the track is technical to a point because it does have fast. It has slow. You look at all the different places to pass. You could pass into one, pass into two, you can pass into four, pass into five. There's a number of different places to pass. The interesting fact I think about the last two race weekends is both the factory Yamahas, I, I still think it's a Ducati track. Obviously, when you look at what Ducati did, um, they had two great weekends. Um, well, the Pramac boys uh, you know, and Bagnaya had two great weekends, I think. Um, but when you look at it, the Yamaha boys won these races the exact same way. I mean, Vinales, the first week, kind of, Picked his way through, got himself to the front, pulled away, and was able to hold on. Quattararo was just the man this weekend. He did the exact same thing that Vinales did uh, the week prior. And 
those two guys were just able to do it. You can see when you look at the rundown of the list here, Renz was the first guy that really got to the front, and he just couldn't do anything with Jorge Martin. He was able to get by Zarco. He was able to do things, but the Suzuki really, really lacked um, devastatingly bad down the straights, and um, where where it just made it impossible for him to to get by Martin. He wasn't willing to stick his nose in um, and make a big leap, <clears throat> which I think probably would have cost him more anyways. But I think that uh, the deficit that Suzuki showed just weren't made it to where they just couldn't get that last little bit. But the Yamahas, um, they definitely were able to do that, and they were able to pull enough away where uh, in the hands of Quattro and Vinales in two separate Sundays to get away enough to where they could hold him off down that straightaway for the final run. So um, is it technical? It is. But I just think that the level of competition is so good and so close that I think that we're going to see a lot of this kind of racing this year. And also, Greg, when you go to tracks where the draft is an important key factor, it allows guys, you know, remember when we used to go to Daytona or we'd go to Brainerd and you'd be half a second off in qualifying or sometimes even a full second. And you'd be able to look and say, hey, I know I can get in that lead draft still and stay there because they kind of pull you along, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of just not making the big mistakes. And Quattararo rode so brilliant that second week, um, uh, this last weekend, to, to be able to get away and, and, you know, they were talking about, you just got to lead into turn one. And as a, as a rider, that is the whole thing. Like I tell you, when you're going down the front straightaway at road America and, and you've taken the lead and nobody drafts by you, you definitely get a little surge of adrenaline as you tip into turn one thinking to yourself, okay, I've made that break. I've got to continue to push. And that's what Quattro did. Uh, not unlike his teammate the week prior. So I think it's a, an, an amazing start to the year for Monster Energy Yamaha. Um, you know, they, Quattro taking the place of Valentino Rossi. You even heard him mention that in his post-race, that there was some pressure there. Um, very, very questionable in the sense that the way he finished last year wasn't that spectacular. But he started off this year very well. So what's interesting is if you look at the race analysis lap by lap and you watch Quattro's performance, mm -hmm. he comes out of the gate and he's in sixth place. Yeah. Was it sixth? One, two, three. Six yeah. or seventh. Yeah, I mean, he's, he was back there. So, I, it's, I'm, so I'm going at the end of lap one, right? So at the end okay. of lap one, he's in one, two, three, four, five, six. So he's in seventh place, 1.1 yeah. seconds yeah. behind. By lap two, he's adrift, 1.9 seconds. Yeah. By lap seven, he is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's eighth place, and he's back two seconds. Yep. Okay. It was really then he starts to close the gap down on lap eight. And, you know, so lap eight, you see him 1.6 seconds behind. By lap 13, he's now up into fifth place. You know what I mean? A second and a half back and so on. It was a very interesting race to watch because post-race, they did an interview with uh, one of the one of the principals from, the, you know, the Monster Energy Yamaha factory team. And he was like, well, kind of halfway through the race, I didn't really think we had a chance, you know? And, and, and it's like, yeah, that's like, I didn't even really count on Quadraro at all. And then it wasn't right. until I would say probably for me, lap 14 of 22 and he's in fifth place and he's one second, he's right there, you know? And then on right. lap 15, he makes a pass and, and I'm like, wait a second. And you could definitely tell with about five laps to go that Quadraro had the pace more than anybody right. that he could trust it. Rins was fast. Rins could do it. But, you know, Rins had that one moment where he lost the front figure and shit. I Big mean, it was, yeah. it was a huge save. 
he might have touched the paint, but I mean, he the did. paint. It looked like he did, didn't it? Yeah, it did. But, you know, the paint's yeah. got aggregate and it, it's, it's grippy. Obviously, you see in MotoGP, World Superbike, you know, riders ride up on the paint all the time. But it could have been he was at such max grip at that moment that just the change in grip, you know, I mean, from yeah. the paint to the, the asphalt would have made the difference. But it was a heck of a save. But I think that was the warning sign to Rins like, well, I'm really cooking this thing. I'm I'm really working this thing. And of course, in MotoGP, Jay, you know they have sensors now that are going to tell you the internal tire temperature, the external tire temperature. Yeah. And it shows on their dashboard. So there's a lot of that, you know, onboard stuff. But so I just thought, I mean, I, I can't even say enough about the Yamaha team. I mean, what what results at a place where most people discounted them, including myself, and to come out with two wins is incredible. Well, I think it looks really bad on the fact that you know for the last two years. Yamaha's biggest thing is we can't get off corners and we have no grip. I mean, they had no they have no acceleration, they have no grip, so they're getting on the gas so early that they're destroying their tires because they have no acceleration. Um, is it fixed? I mean, this is a this is a hard one to tell. I mean, we're gonna know when we go to other racetracks how close they can be. You know, when we head off to Portimao, um, if I remember last year, I believe it was like Oliveira, Miller, and Nakagami. I believe were podium there. I, that's just off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really a Yamaha in sight, and it, it was a bad race for them. And and you know this race here, you know when when it when it started, I'm like, wow, Vinales is eighth or ninth. Now we're going to see if he can move, if he can go forward. You know, we got to see now, can he go forward? And the the and he was trying, and you could see. That, that he was extremely frustrated when he parked his bike in the garage coming in. He was given the gestures of trying to pass, couldn't pass. Was it the same type of thing that they've been having issues with? So, But, I mean, for Yamaha to come in and, and win both races, uh, I thought was incredible. Now, we can get into the meat, and, meat of this stuff because we have a Frenchman you know, going 1-2, but we also have a Frenchman leading the championship. Johan Zarco <laughs> ends up second on the weekend, puts in two incredible rides. And, you know... You could arguably say that he's kind of the forgotten man in this whole thing because he just kept his nose clean for two weekends straight. And it looked like he was just riding so within himself. And, you know, when you look at what Mir did last year by by racking up points, winning, uh, you know, he obviously won one race. But when you look at what, what Mir did last year, you could arguably say that Zarco kind of fell into that mode this weekend. He did everything he could to to. I mean, to try to win the race, there was just always one guy just a little bit better than him. And Martin did such a tremendous job, his teammate ending up third, leading that race for, what, three quarters of the race, G-Dub. Jorge Martin leads as a rookie. 18, um, 18 to 22 incredible. laps. Incredible. Yeah, incredible. And the thing that I liked about Zarco post-race was he basically said to the fact that, look, Martin was doing a great job. He was out there. He was riding. He was setting a good pace. No one was throwing shots at Zarco, so Zarco didn't really have to defend. That was the—I think—that's the defining factor. Zarco's like, "Good, I'm—I'm I'm good here. I'm going to save my tire." We know that the Ducati is susceptible to tire issues. He said, "You know, even Jorge Martin, dude. As I mean, it's—it's it's kind of a weird thing because how long has Jorge, Jorge Martin been in the Grand Prix paddock? You know, I get he's yeah. on a MotoGP bike, but I think it's over-exaggerated sometimes in terms of like." being a rookie or all of a sudden you have to be smarter on a GP bike than you were on a moto two bike or a moto three bike. I mean, I I get it. But Martin was like, look, I was getting on the, I was rolling on the gas early in this race. All I'm thinking about is save the tire, save the tire, save the tire. Zarco's behind him going, yep. That's exactly what I was doing. Just follow Martin. He's doing a great job. No one's attacking me. 
And then he said when Zarco came by or when Quadraro came by, he was like, okay, I've got to go try to chase him down. But he just didn't quite have it. So if, if you just listen to the way Zarco's approaching races right now, he's so dialed into championship mode already, just oh. of, of how, to, how to stay safe, how to be fast, how to collect these points. It's really impressive. It's very well, impressive. I'm sure I'm glad we didn't lose him in the paddock. I mean, they, they, I mean, there was a point there where it looked like there might not be anything for him. I was always a Zarco fan. I mean, the guy won two world championships back to back. I can't think of a Moto Two guy that's done that. I don't think it's been done in Moto Two to be fair. I think he's the only double world champion in Moto Two yeah. period. Exactly right. So when you look at him and he jumps on that factory KTM, and I'll never ever ever forget watching that test at Valencia on like the third lap, he lost the front so bad and i was thinking to myself man that's just not what you want to feel the first time you get on a motorcycle and it just never really panned out for him it never worked out for him so that was that was kind of a drag um but then he kind of bounced around he got he rode the honda and then then he gets this this opportunity and i think that the opportunity is right in front of him now um i think he's i think he's fairly likable i think ducati is going to really enjoy watching what he does um but I think that he's in for the long haul, as you say. I think it's going to be be he's going to be a hard guy to beat this year. So Zarco and Martin, I think uh, as a team, they looked comfortable together. They look like they get on really well. You could tell there was a mutual respect between. I really love Jorge Martin's interview after he got pole position. You know, he says, you know, it's not my turn to win tomorrow, um, but I'm going to do everything I can for top six or seven. And I'm thinking to myself. You know, you knew he was going to get a good start, and there's no reason. He saw the pace the week prior. Then he's just got to stick it in there. And, boy, he he just rode superb. Mm, it was great. He looked like he didn't really do anything wrong. He, I know that he wanted to learn from other people, and he only had a couple laps to do that. But, I mean, we'll see. You know, the, the question really becomes, as we move forward, you know, to the next couple of racetracks, how nimble is the Ducati at this point? You know, yep. because – Obviously, the Yamahas and the Suzukis are incredible handling motorcycles. And there's always a trade-off between speed yes. and handling. That's just the way it's always been. It's like, oh, well, great. I can I can pull the trigger. And, you know, the key for Yamaha it was pretty simple. I, I, I There's a magic number there somewhere, Jason, but I'm going to say it was probably 0.25 or 0.3 of a second was what you needed coming onto the front straightaway to hold off the Ducati for sure. Oh. 0.5 yeah. was comfortable and 0.6 was comfortable for Quattararo where Ducati could, you know, those guys, the Pramac guys couldn't get close to him. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, you had to make the pass early in the lap and you had to really put your head down, you know, I guess through the infield, which is kind of an old, old statement that we use. And, you know, I think Quattararo, he just, Oh my God, dude. I mean, that guy, I think he could have won anywhere. Yeah, no, it looked good. I mean, it's just going to be interesting to see what happens as we move on and we see how they qualify in other places. Qualifying is just, you. I mean, you got to qualify good. Now, let's get to fourth place, Alex Rins. And I guess my, my leading question to you with Alex Rins is, you know, at the beginning of that race, for the first quarter of the race, he was the guy kind of making the moves. He was getting himself to the front. I really felt like he had the pace. Do you feel, Greg, that if he would have got through on Martin and been able to lead into turn one, do you think that the whole dynamic of this race probably would have changed? Or do you think that... I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like if Rins takes the lead, sort of eight nine laps laps into it, I think he steadily kind of, could probably kind of get away. He had that much pace. I something tells me that Rins is struggling in the latter part of the races that we haven't seen the Suzuki do. 
with with grip with being able to hold on to some grip and i mm. think that yes and no you got to remember he 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 worked really hard at the beginning to try to get by um yeah i mean if he if Brins had know, gotten I mean, a good like, start i mean if you think about it if, if a suzuki or a, or a yamaha had gotten the start that jorge martin got that was over yep. half a second on the first lap that could have been game over 100 percent game over for everybody yep. you know because yep. ducati loses that big you know draft and pass or just outright just motor pass so I think that would have been a different situation because then Rins would have been able to manage tire. But the situation that we had, if middle of the race, he gets to the front, I'm not really sure that, you know, he would have been as strong as we saw Quattararo those last few laps. Yeah, it's hard to say because I think I think sometimes it's a lot harder to, you know, when you're when you're struggling on top speed and you're working the bike as hard as he was working it, um, you know, past the front straightaway through all the, you know, through one through 14 or 15 turns, he was trying everything he could to get by. And really the only guy that was, he just wasn't able to get close enough to was Martin. Um, to, to, I mean, there was a couple times where it looked like he was just going to take a lunge and he couldn't quite make that move. Um, I, I really believe Rins is going to be a hard guy to beat this year. He's got two good races under his belt. He's healthy, obviously, as we know. Um, I think that arguably this could be, one of the worst tracks for Suzuki. When you look at it, when you look at the Yamaha and you look at the Ducati, those being so good there, obviously KTM was the one that struggled a lot. We'll get to them in a minute, but I think Suzuki had the potential to be further up front in these races, but man, the speed deficit down the straightaway between the top bikes and theirs seemed to just be too much. And it was just, after a while, it just gets exhausting as a rider as well. So, I mean, he only ends up two seconds back wasn't like he was a mile off. Um, he ends up two seconds back and barely holding off last week's winner, Maverick Vinales. Kind of a quiet race for Maverick. It looked like he was in the same boat where he was just kind of frustrated. He he, he couldn't do what he did the week prior that Quattararo was able to do. Hmm. Have you so, have you ever been in the situation that the Yamahas and Suzukis are in as a racer? I mean, I, hmm. I have. You know, of course. Yeah. I have because... I, you know, I used to race in the Formula Extreme class when it was wide open and I was on a 750 Super Sport bike. And there are plenty of times where I had some races with people where I was faster yeah. than them in the corners. And here they come just blowing by me on the straightaway. And I mean, I no. just remember getting so pissed. You know what I mean? Just it is. It is frustrating. It is. It is frustrating. Um, and you've got to try to be as perfect as you can. And you've got to almost rely a little bit on a mistake here or there. Um by that person to, to get away. But it really depends on Greg, where you pass them in a lap. Where do you get by them? You got to get by them in the right spot. So stepping underneath the guy going into the last turn at a place like road America, when you know, you're just going to get motored again, it's futile. You know, it's like, yeah, you're, yeah. you're, you're trying everything you can. And that's basically what these guys had to deal with. I, I really believe if you tell Maverick that he's going to end up fifth and first in a race on the course of a weekend at Doha, he probably would have probably would have been okay with that. You know, I mean, when you sit there and you look back and you think about it, um, the result that he the results that he got were 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 pretty solid. Um, we know that the everybody else has got to work on their launch device. The Ducatis look like they've got that just dialed. Um, so getting to that first turn is is such a gigantic key. And that one that one there too, Doha has a little bit longer run down to the first turn than some of the other places that they'll go. So the Ducatis are able to get up into you know second third gear. Uh, a little bit quicker than everybody else. And that's going to help them get to that first turn. But going forward again, Greg, you look at uh, Bagnaya, 
Pecco ends up sixth on this night, frustrated with himself. If you remember, with about three or four laps to go, he gets himself down into turn one a little bit hot, as did Paul Espargaro, because Paul Espargaro actually drug a big group of riders forward. And on the same exact lap that Bagnaya gets kind of drawn into that draft that can so easily happen, um, he gets into turn one a little bit hot, gave up a bunch of track position, and ended up going a little bit backwards because he was kind of on a charge and reading the things that he says. Uh, number one, he says he's very frustrated with, with himself and things like that shouldn't happen to a guy riding a factory Ducati, that those mistakes shouldn't be made. I think that's a little harsh on himself, but I like it anyways. Um, yeah. You know, you're going to make, sometimes you're going to make those mistakes. Uh, it wasn't the only only person we saw get, get drawn into a draft on the course of the weekend, and that'll be on for a little bit later on the show when we talk about Moto3. But um, it's pretty easy to get sucked into a draft like that. When you think these guys are slowing down from 200 mile an hour, um, you know, you got to be pretty precise when you get down to the end of the turn. But I think overall, Bagnaya, not a, not a horrendous weekend. 2.6 seconds off the pace. I mean, anything, do you think anything to the fact that, you know, Pramac is beating the factory oh, teams no right question. now? I mean, you have to sit there and you think to yourself, you know, that Pramac team, you know, I mean, I think sometimes, you know, you've always, you've always heard, you know, better, better be careful what you wish for sometimes. And the Pramac team just looks like they gel well together. They look like they're, everybody gets on pretty well. I think there's a lot of pressure within big red over there on the factory team. I think that there's a lot of pressure internally within the structure of the team. I think the Pramac team seems a little bit more relaxed. Um, but at the end of the day, everybody's on Ducati's Ducati's going to be happy regardless, but the people that are going to be feeling it the most are the riders at factory Ducati and the engineers who are, you know, they're, they're, they're main crew chiefs. Um, it's never a good look when you get beat by the satellite team. Uh, and it's really not a good look when you get beat by, a rookie in his second race who qualifies on pole <laughs> and, and so on. So, well, the other thing too, Jay, to, to consider too, is it's, it's early. It is definitely yeah. early for the Pramac team from this perspective of, I have seen this in my years as a race commentator or whatever, underdog teams all of a sudden now are leading a championship and the mood changes, you know, all of a sudden the pressure gets to them. When you're the underdog, it's one thing. When you're the leader, it's a whole nother thing. And so it, it'll be, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit back in the armchair and kind of fold my arms and see what happens for Pramac because if they do have the right formula and are able to keep the spirit of the team currently yeah. moving forward, then you're absolutely right. You know, as long as there are no big parts revolutions that are coming down the line that only the factory riders are going to get, they really seem to have things dialed in at the moment. But again, I can't stress enough how, you know, that, so so now I'm on a I'm, I'm on a Michelin tire WhatsApp group kind of a thing, right? Where there's yep. hundred something yep. people. So Michelin is communicating to journalists through WhatsApp, and you know there's documents going back. There's there's um from from the lead guy at Michelin, he's actually giving voice message like a voice kind of a memo or whatever to people. And I think really the thing that was important was is that um, you know the fact that it was exactly the same tire allotment for the test that they had, exactly the same tire allotment for the rate for both races. So now the question becomes, okay, great. Ducati's been able to dial in the tires that work for them. But what happens now when you're able to use a medium or a hard front on a Honda, on a KTM, you know, it's not going to be like this for the entire season because there's a lot of unknowns at this point. Yeah, there's no question. I think that, that um, that's an interesting group for you to be in. I remember you talking a little bit about that as we led up to the races because obviously we did see the KTMs use that that medium front tire 
And I saw the after race um, interview with, with Binder basically saying that the soft front tire is gone after 10 laps. And so a lot of those guys, uh, the week prior, um, they, after 10 laps, they were hosed in, in the first week's race. And we'll get to Bender real quick because he ends up eighth. We'll talk about seventh and ninth here in a second. I think very, <laughs> very quietly, pretty tremendous ride by Brad Bender to end up 4.9 seconds off. He hasn't really been close at all, Greg. Um, wasn't close in the first race last week. Uh, wasn't really close towards the end of the last year, even though we did see him win a race last season. The performance of Brad Bender did fall off a bit. I think... He said even that if you'd have told him he finished eighth, he said that felt like a win to him um, ending up eighth. He knows that they're going to go to places where the KTM is going to excel a little bit better, especially the next one we go to Portimao where his teammate Miguel Oliveira won last year. Um, when you look at what KTM did, all four riders going with that medium front tire seemed to stick in there a little bit more. Oliveira was up front early. He fades all the way back to 15th, and you got to think that was because of that. Um but I thought a pretty great ride by Bender to end up eighth, only four point something back, four point nine, just under five seconds back. Again, he could see the leaders in front of him. And what? How many laps did we do? Twenty two. Yeah, and you know what's funny is the real guy that that I feel bad about is Paul Spargo because he really drugged the likes of Bender, Bastianini, um, uh, Brottle. Um, he he kind of drug all those guys up there, and then he made a Paul made a big mistake running. I believe he was running somewhere like ninth eighth, whatever it was. Uh, he, had, he had been coming forward, but he ended up kind of dropping back. But good result for Bender. Now, let's talk about seventh and ninth. We're going to talk about Juan Mir ends up seventh, um, 4.8 seconds off. Week, week prior, again, he had a race that was very similar to that of Vinales. The week before, Mir was able to get to the front, was able to get to third, hold that position, if you remember, or fourth. He ends up fourth the week before, but just gets smoked down the front straightaway. By the two Ducatis, factory Ducatis, got by him uh, in in race one. In this one, he just could never get that push forward. And when he did finally get it, he makes a mistake coming onto the front straightaway, uh, runs a little bit wide, and then gets hammered by Miller on the exit. Um, now, earlier in that lap, Greg, Mir had made a, a pretty uh, bold pass. He did rub up against Miller. In a, in, um, God, I wish I could remember all the names of the turns there, but we saw it on TV. I think it's like turn 10 or turn 12. Anyways, he ends up he ends up going up underneath him, rubs Miller a little bit. And I want to just give a little perspective on how this kind of went and looked to me because as a rider and as a racer, uh, you know who you're riding against. You know who you're racing against. There are plenty of times where I may have made a mistake, got up underneath somebody, stood them up, touched them. Um, I can honestly say I didn't touch too many people, but I had had it happen to me where um, – where I'd, I'd got moved out of the way. I think it really depends on, you know, if you watch, if you watch Mir, he, he puts his leg out and was like, Hey, that's my bad. You know, that's, that was my bad. Um, an error it, and it happens. But when you see what ends up happening, coming onto the front straightaway with between Miller and Mir, where's the Ducati, the strongest Greg straight away. Miller goes out of his way to run into Mir. Now, I'm all about a little argy-bargy, and I have no problem with paybacks. I have no problem with holding your ground and kind of showing somebody, hey, I'm not going to put up with that shit. I get it. I, I really do get it. But if I'm the bosses at Ducati and I'm watching that last corner, the throttle's in your right hand, and he's getting on the gas, and he has every bit of right to be where he needs to be uh, on the track, meaning Miller. I have no problem with that. But 
from a self-preservation look, and what is your main what is your main priority in the race to do G Dub? What's your main priority? Finish. Get the best result you can. Where's that Ducati strongest? On the straightaway. Well, not only did it did he in my opinion, he goes after Juan Mir on the exit of a corner that leads onto the fastest straightaway. So not only did he go after him in the wrong spot, his attention's on Mir. His attention isn't on the guys in front and going after the best position he could get. And ultimately, he finishes ninth. It ends up costing him. If there's a photo, there's a photo of him coming on the straightaway where I believe he's fourth or fifth, maybe. But he's got the likes of Bagnaya, Zarco, uh, Quattro, all right there in front of him. It's an opportunity for him to forget what happened four corners ago. Let's get by Mir. Even if he rolls out of it a little bit and lets Mir get on the straightaway, he's going right past that Suzuki regardless. Would you agree? 100%. And he ends up losing positions because he's more keyed in and more focused on going after Mir than he is going after the guys at the front. And there's a point where you go, does somebody lose their cool? Does somebody – and to me, all of his focus went to one specific thing rather than I'm trying to get the best result I can. And I would have loved to have seen the last lap because he went into the last lap in seventh place. And I didn't, I didn't get to see the last lap. We didn't get to see where Mir got by Miller, but I'm sure it was a hard pass. And he, it allowed Bender to get through as well. So Miller ends up finishing ninth in both races. I think a horrendous two weekends. Talking about could hardly wait to get out of there and just hope that he can get out of there healthy. Um I don't know what's wrong with Doha as far as the track goes. I know it can get dusty. I know it's not like it's a it's a it's a in my opinion it's a great great racetrack. Um, but man, I tell you, it, his back's against it now because he's been wanting that factory seat. And to me, again, I have no problem with paybacks. I have no problem with showing somebody that you have the strength to be able to give back what you received. But I just thought it was bad timing, and I don't think that what Mir did was. I don't think it was a. I, I think it was literally just a racing incident, and I don't feel that what Miller did coming onto the front straightaway was a racing incident. That to me, you got to let the guy get back on the track. Mir is he's trying to get himself back on the track. For Miller to roll out of the gas, the smallest little amount. I'm talking very little. That that collision could have been avoided, and Miller could have still gone with those four guys in front of him. Yeah, how many other collisions did we see coming on the front straightaway? Zero. That we saw zero. That, that we saw, but and- there, there was another incident, you know, that I that I found out about. There, were, it was it, w- the incident w- between Miller and and Mir that we saw when he stuffed him, and then his leg came out. Was only one of two. So I I understand I understand the multiples. I I totally get your opinion, and I and I I, I agree with you. It's like you know, g- get on with the race and then go deal with this afterwards. Go park your yep. bike, go run down to pit lane and start swinging with a helmet on or whatever. You know what I mean? Or Correct. just, you know, not, yeah. not that extreme necessarily, but you know, uh, go have How many races to- are there? How many races are there in the season now? 19, 20? Yeah. Yeah. This season. You're the second one. You got a long season. 22. There's so yeah, you have 20 races, I think left. Is and, that right? Or Yeah. And there's a point where you go, it's a long, long, it's a long season. Okay. You got to get a result, man. You're back there. You're back there itching and scratching. This guy just made an error in the last corner to allow you to go back through freely. And and ultimately what he did by doing what he did was he let Bagnaya back through, Vinyala's back through. I mean, it was that big of a mistake where it's like you go, his focus was not on 
getting the best result he could. It was about, I'm going to go show Mir that he can't do that shit to me. Jason. Well, congrats. You got nice. Let me ask you this question. Yeah. When Valentino Rossi was pissed on a racetrack, where did he almost always finish? Um, well. Like, I mean, ahead of the person that he was pissed at, right? Yeah. He usually won. The thing that you got to remember is, is that if this is, if this is last lap, if this is the two of those guys leading, there's so many different scenarios that you can draw where you could see what Miller did and be like, yeah, okay. If they're leading by four seconds over the next group and Mir's playing rough, and I got no problem with that. Right, that's not what I'm talking about. So what I am talking about is if you look at some riders, when they get angry and they fight back, a guy like Valentino would win. Normally a guy like Casey Stoner would win. A guy like um, Colin Edwards would win, right? But yep. what Miller showed me, unfortunately, showed the world is, is there might be a crack in the armor that says if you rattle him, he's going to go backwards. You get what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. that's the one yeah. thing, too, that if I look at it long term and I look at, you know, and if I flush the weekend away and if I'm Juan Mir or if I'm any of these guys, I'm like, oh, cool. If I'm racing it up with Miller, all I got to do is nudge him a couple times. He's going to get angry and go backwards. Yep. Well, you know, the thing that you got to look at, Greg, and the thing you have to answer to is this, okay? You're the man in charge at Ducati. You are the man in charge at Ducati, and you're sitting in the pit box, and you're watching that race. And you watch what happens coming onto the front straightaway. Do you, how do you find fault with Mir? No, you can't. I mean, especially because you literally the, video, the video clearly shows Miller looking at him, and then he just launches yeah. right into him There's and looks at him again. Like, you see it look twice. So... The, the, the one thing, though, is, is and I don't want to shift the focus away from the incident because, again, I don't know how many times they came together. Motorcycle racing is full of adrenaline and full of passion, 100%. as we're going to talk about later, Yeah, you know, if we ever get there. But and so I understand the reactions. And I think a lot of times some, you know, it's like it's in a way it's like a, like pro football. Right. You have 22 year old guys that have been taught their entire life to go crush that. And when passion's involved and something happens and somebody steps on someone's helmet, they get thrown out of a game. They're like, oh, my God, he's a horrible human being. And you're like, yeah, but if you're caught in the moment with emotional, I mean, I, I've had it happen. You know what I mean? I've chased somebody yeah. down pit lane before. I've been so pissed. And that was for a freaking weird race for a you know wooden trophy, right? Like, Did you get, they, lapped? Did you get lapped or were you, or you – was that what you were mad about? What were you mad about? I don't um, know. You, you somebody, didn't get to, you didn't get you didn't get to see the white I, flag, I was right? Getting yeah, lapped I and Weera, dude. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I had you to know, throw one of them in there. Yeah, I know. But a lot of people sit back and they they're like, "Oh, how could this happen?" Like, "Oh, mm -hmm. you know." And you're just like, "Man, because that's, oh man, that's like, like you're literally saying to people, hey, you're an adrenaline junkie.' Hey, you you know you got to fire up and, and listen to loud music. But if anything yeah. bad happens, you just have to just be chill. And it's like, no, dude, you're keyed no, up. Listen, you know, like I, I get it. it I'm such a walking contradiction because on one hand, I have no problem with Miller doing what he did. Now, where he did it, how he did it, I honestly think that when Mir did what he did, it was just an honest racing mistake. It was it was one of those situations where you look at it and you go, you've got a fast guy on a slower bike, which is Mir, against a fast guy on a fast bike down a straightaway in Miller, but Mir could get through some of the turns a little quicker. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're in Mir's position, you've got to get creative. You've got to try to find ways. And he committed to making a move. And if Jack doesn't stand the bike up a little bit, like he did with great, great riding sense, um, and, you know, Mir kind of rubs up alongside of him. But when a rider goes by and says, hey, I'm sorry, like, I, I literally I literally had guys, even guys I didn't care about, like guys I didn't like that I raced against, 
if they put their arm up to me, I knew that there's there's a respect that you have to have on the racetrack for everybody. And you go like, hey, that was, I'm sorry, that was my bad. I screwed up, whatever. Um, that shit happens. But at the end of the day, four turns later, the guy's giving it back to you because he makes a mistake. Go buy him and continue on with your race. And again, I just look back and I go, if I'm sitting in there and I'm Tardazzi or Gigi and I'm looking at it, I'm like, that's my rider losing his cool and not caring about his result. He'd, he'd, he'd rather go, he'd rather go make a point to mirror. And now you look at it, Greg. Um, when 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 you sit there, the thing I laughed about when I when I was was when I, when I was watching the race is that you look at Jack Miller now. He's only got fourteen more points than he's only got fourteen more points than uh, than Mark Marquez. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. He's got fourteen more points than Marquez now. Marquez is sitting at his house and he's he's probably laughing. 14 point deficit to the, to the a factory Ducati guy. Um, but, but anyways, moving on, Greg, Alicia Spargo ends up 10th. I thought, uh, a good week, a good couple of weeks for the Aprilia. He ends up 5.3 back again. He's kind of speaking about being frustrated about top speed, uh, down a little bit. Feels like he's on the best Aprilia that he's been on. Um, he came out and basically said something really interesting. I don't know if you saw the quote, but basically he said that Aprilia doesn't need to hire another fast rider. They've already got me, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, that's got to be in reference to the fact that Davizioso is going to be testing that Aprilia here next week, isn't he? I think Monday he's on that bike. Um, things can get really interesting. If you get Marquez back and you get Dovi on an Aprilia, it just adds to the pot of what MotoGP is currently. Well, you know, the, the, I think the biggest thing is for Alicia Spargo is that if he did have a question mark in his head, if he could run with the front guys, that it should be over at that point. You know, it, right. it, it was, it was something else that created the 5.3 seconds back. Ultimately, it definitely wasn't his riding right skill. His ability to ride up front is proven. And that's, I think a really big deal because he just has not had great results, not on a great bike going from, you know, that's those CRTs to, you know, the Aprilia <laughs> team and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's it's one of those situations where I think you have to look at it if you're Alesh, and I get your you might be you might feel a little bit threatened, but if you are in the boat rowing in the same direction as Aprilia, I almost think it's more beneficial for him to jump on board and say, "So pumped, Davizioso is getting to Agreed. test this motorcycle, so I can see if my feedback and the things that I think are." wrong with this bike that need to be fixed are correct you know so yeah agreed and it's difficult i mean dude you know me i've been around commentating a long time and you know the 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 amount of people that want that job or you know the play-by-play job are abundant and you know i can feel threatened too you know in that situation so yep. i i get it but where i'm not threatened is when people are on my team and they're making the broadcast better and we're all you know doing that thing we're all swimming in the same direction whatever you know some pick something so I think for Aprilia, I think it's a good sign. 5.3 seconds is not very far off. I mean, that's what, Jay, I mean, maybe what? You're losing 0.25, maybe 0.3 seconds yes. per lap? Yeah, easily. But the hardest part, though, Greg, is it just makes your race very difficult. If you can't go by people, it makes you susceptible for people coming up behind you. You know? Yeah, but, so, but, but if there's no Ducati, <clears throat> yep. the, the Aprilia is right there, top speed-wise. Yeah, nope, I agree. I agree. And even um, a little faster than uh, than the Suzukis. But there is Ducati, and that makes it but a little bit harder. But there is Ducati, yeah. yeah. There is Ducati. And there's and, a lot of them. And he ended up 
you know, he ran third in that race for uh, a few laps. He did. Race. Yeah. No, he, um, he rode really I, well in that. At the beginning of that race, he was definitely dialed for sure. Um, so, yeah. So when you look at it, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And of course, moving further back, Bastianini does a tremendous job. He ends up 11th. Morbidelli, uh, I really think that the thing that hurt Morbidelli more than anything, Greg, and we say this a lot about it when we do our telecasts as well. If we have a rider that didn't really get to complete the amount of laps the way they wanted to complete them in race one, it makes it a little bit harder in race two. And if you remember, Morbidelli had some pretty big issues with his start uh, starting device that sounds like kind of stuck on uh, in week one at Doha. So he rolled around at the back, but he was not even a factor in race one. Um, so any kind of big changes that he may have wanted to make to that bike between you know one one week to the next. Um, was really thwarted. He ends up ending up 12th and a Spargo 13th, sadly. Um, I think Paul will do okay on that bike this year. He ends up six seconds back, um, and I know that's not where he wants to be. Again, Stefan Braudel impresses me as kind of – you can't really call him the test rider anymore. At this point, he's in MotoGP, and Oliveira ends up 15th. Overall, I really loved MotoGP um, <laughs> this last week. I was glued to the TV through the practices and the qualifyings and – like it's it's very very intriguing to me right now all of this stuff and uh, if you had I'm to pick best performance best performance of this race who would it be? Well, it's hard to argue with Quattararo. I'd say that when you look at Doha in a in a whole, I think that um, the one I I don't know how many people would have had Zarco leaving Doha with the championship points lead. I think that that's a pretty big uh, effort on his part. You could even see. Him kind of slightly, slightly grin uh, in the post-race interview where he kind of says, and I think I'm leading the points. And his eyes kind of lit up. This guy's leading the world championship. I get it. It's two rounds. There's nothing to get your, your feathers ruffled about just yet. But I think it's a tremendous effort for Pramac. Uh, they've, they had both their riders on the podium. I think as a team, you got to look at the Pramac team. I think that was the big story leaving Doha, even though Yamaha came out and won both races. And I think that is, again, another huge story. Um, but Pramac season has started off pretty well. Well, I can tell you this in our fantasy league, which we're going to talk about later, the person who's leading the league, they boosted Zarco in this one. So they had they had a lot of confidence in, in Zarco for sure. Yeah. And and I think that that's, uh, you know, I think that I think that um, when you look at it, he's going to be there for the for the end. I think that what Mir did last year has set the tone for a lot of these riders. And I mean, great. The, the amount of attrition that we saw was so little for the speed that these guys are going and the closeness of the racing. And you can really say that throughout the, all the races. Um, I want to move on to Moto2 because Moto2, you and I talked about this this morning prior to us getting on here. Um, Moto2 was kind of one of those races where it was a fantastic race. It was a great race. It was like a race where you sit there and you go, I could probably watch that race again. For the sheer brilliance that Sam Lowe's has shown in the first two rounds, uh, the consistency, the speed, the ability to lead at the front, I'll tell you, it is not an easy thing when you see plus zero on your board filled up for the amount of laps that these guys did. I think they did 18 laps, I believe it was, or I can't remember exactly, G-Dub, but um, when you look at the am- 19, amount of uh, 20, 19 sorry, laps, 20, 20, is it 20? Okay, thank you. So when you look at it, he goes, he goes 20 laps. Takes the lead on lap two or three, and then Remy, who was there at the at the end of the last week's race, Garner, he ends up second again, but he got the second earlier. He kept on trying to make these little pushes and shoves, and he'd do a fast lap, and then Sam would respond. I just think both those two guys were unbelievable to watch. Uh, there wasn't passing for the lead. There wasn't 
But the story itself was very intriguing watching how it was all playing out. I mean, that's, you know, if you're Remy Gardner at that point, you're doing what you, you reeled him in, you used up a little bit of tire, reeling Sam in. He was just controlling the pace up front. And you were like, okay, when is Remy going to throw a shot? Are we going to see the old Remy who's going to just go a desperate shot and then toss her down the road? So Gardner, to me, I mean, showed a lot of maturity. He's shown some, some progress in racecraft for sure. I know he was disappointed at losing by, you know, 0.1 of a second. But Lowe's, with all that pressure on and the way that he saved his tire, you know, which was really interesting. I mean, it's like, you know, we've talked about this before, Jay, the, 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 the difference between wanting to shatter the field and win by 20 seconds or just win by a thousandth of a second. What's the difference? You know what I mean? Still 25 points versus 20. And it just looked like Lowe's kind of had that mentality. Save it, save it, save it. And the fastest lap of the race, as he said, post-race, was set by Sam Lowe's. And then, of course, 0.19 seconds later, it was set by Remy Gardner. So Sam got it first. But the fact that Lowe's and Gardner were doing the fastest laps of the race on the last lap also says a lot about how they were able to manage the entire race situation with the tires, the fuel load, and the entire deal. Because, again, Moto2 bikes, and there's no traction control. You know, it's not like you can just hit a button and, and allow the computer to switch maps on you to to aid in TC and those types of things. So that's, it's a lot of, I mean, they do have electronics on that bike. Don't get me wrong. You know, they, they do have things they can do with engine braking and some other things, but it's not TC. And I think that, you know, you, you, you got to give credit to Raul Fernandez as well, rookie, you know, on that bike. And he was right in the mix and just drifted back late in the race. And, but he's riding, he's riding amazing to only be 3.3 back. And didn't they say this race was like six seconds quicker than the one weekend before? Or I think so. Like it was fast. It was it, it was, was fast. Really fast. And I, you know, when we talk about saving tires, let's, let's keep in mind these guys did their fastest laps on the last lap of the race, uh, both Sam and Remy. Both these guys have had a tradition in the past, or at least um, kind of the mo of of tossing the thing down the road. I don't know if I've ever seen Sam ride this in control for two straight Grand Prix. That he obviously he wins. Um, last year he didn't get to do this race because of a shoulder injury. You can look at Sam. You can look at uh, Jorge Martin. These guys would have cha- these guys would have challenged for the championship last year. Sam did a, had a couple things happen to him where he tipped off obviously at Valencia and hurt his hand pretty bad. Martin caught COVID, um, you know, and and that allowed uh, Bastianini to go on and win the championship last year. Guy rode amazing, but but you got to think that. Both Sam and Remy have been through, they've been through the washer a bit in the sense that they've had their ups and downs. Uh, I think Remy's on a, a team that he loves. He even said if you'd have told him he was going to finish second in both races to start the year, he'd have signed the contract right there. So he's obviously very happy. He'll be keen to go on to other tracks. Raul Fernandez looks like a phenom. He ends up third. Bezeki ends up fourth, six seconds off the lead. Then we have a big gap, and I know you're excited about who finished fifth grade because Ayagura made a big jump. Um, from being in Moto3 last year to to the first weekend at Doha, where I believe he finished, oh, he was back there a bit, I think, in the first weekend. Wasn't he like 15th? or He was back there. Yeah, he was back there, yeah. I think he scored points, but they weren't a lot of and points. And he ends up fifth. He ends up fifth at this race, looking very racy. He had Fernandez for company, Augusto Fernandez, Vietti, Manzi. No, sorry, uh, Jay. Just yeah. I Gora finished 17th in the first 17th. race. Yeah, I thought Nine, I, I was going to say 19.1 seconds back. Yeah, so this time he's 16.6 in a race that was faster. He ends up getting fifth, gets himself in the points. Anyways, Xavi Vieira is ninth. Antonio, a little bit disappointing. Guy was on the podium, uh, but then there's that jump, Greg, that 
Everybody else kind of made that jump. DiGiantonio, for whatever reason, wasn't able to do so. Arbelino, Ben Snyder, Navarro, Dallaporta, who I'm a little surprised, you know, former Moto3 world champ, we just haven't been able to see him make that jump the way that we thought he might. Uh, Lorenzo Dallaporta ends up 14th. Albert Arenas ends up 15th. And for us Americans, it was disappointing because Joe Roberts had got himself up into 5th. Um, and he was actually gapping the guys behind him just a little bit. Now, the gap to the front, to the top four at that point, was probably two or three seconds. Joe looked super comfortable, ready to go. <clears throat> and what it looked like is it looked like he had just got over the outside of the curbing onto the green. And when he tried to turn the bike, it probably hooked on one of the curbings there and put him down pretty quick. I know that area of the racetrack goes fast right-handers, and it just looked like he was shocked that it even happened. Um, but he looked like he just dropped the tire off the, the outside curbing ever so slightly. Um, and he had tipped off and then to add insult to injury, two laps later, um, Cam had set what the second fastest lap of the race at that point, kind of coming forward and he tips off as well. So both American guys within the span of two laps made me want to turn off the race. Cause I was like, Oh, it's just devastating to watch our boys do that. But, um, but both our guys didn't score points there. Yeah, that was that was a heartbreaker. But we'll move on, you know, for those guys for sure. And Cameron, I think, learned some things, although more laps would have been better. I, I know that. Yes. I don't know yes. about second lap, fastest lap at that point. Jay, I know that that at the end of the day, uh, Cameron set the fastest, the second fastest trap speed of anyone in the race, yep. even yep. with his exit. So, like, in terms of speed, you know, these are bikes that are that are, you know, I mean, th these are Triumph engines that everybody gets electronically controlled and all that kind of stuff. So. You've got to look at it and say, well, Cameron knows how to get on the gas because that's it's either a gearing choice or the fact that he's getting on the gas that's giving him, you know, a, a, an advantage down the straightaway in terms of top speed. So there are signs that point to good things. Cameron struggled. I think that maybe his crash in session, I think he crashed in session one uh, of this weekend. I think it probably, you know, hit his confidence a little bit. So he'll be back. And, you know, it's a long season and he's got a lot to learn and he's surrounded by a lot of people. Roberts, yeah, definitely, he'll be back. I yeah, both those back. guys. They're both going to shine this year. I just think for for Joe, the frustration is just throwing those points away. I mean, there's two different types of guys right now over there between when you look at Cam and when you look at Joe. Cam's at the start of his Grand Prix career, so it's important for him to finish laps, as he knows. But he's hungry. He's been winning for a lot of years, and it's hard to see him, I'm sure, for him to look in the mirror and go, man, I'm running around in 10th and 11th. I should be beating these guys. Mistakes are going to get made. For Joe, he realizes the importance of scoring points and being up there at the front. I think that you're going to go to other tracks, even though Doha's isn't, didn't he have the, he's got the qualifying lap record there in Moto2. Yeah, he has the outright lap record. At yeah. Doha. So, you know, we know he goes good there. Um, but I think that two, two point scoring results are what Joe Roberts was looking for. So um, that's Moto2. Moto3, Greg. I mean, oh, yeah, I don't yeah, even yeah. know. My, my hands are still sweating. I think, <laughs> I think it's funny because during the course of the weekend, everybody knows that I try to stay away from, like I don't basically answer text messages and things on Sundays because I try to stay away from my phone. I don't like it when I get results, you know, and all I know is that Greg sends me a text, like, are you watching? And I'm like, I haven't watched Moto three yet. And he's like, okay, well, you know, just wow. Or whatever you put. And I'm like, Oh man, every, it seems like every week we say that about Moto three, but this one, if you don't watch Moto three, if you're, you're not a fan, you're not a fan. Listen, this, I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. If you claim you're a fan of motorcycle racing or racing period, and you're not watching Moto3, you're lying to yourself. Oh, because Greg, this is so uh -huh. effing ridiculous on what happens in Moto3. It is, 
I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I just your don't want. Crap, I, I just don't, don't want any part of. I like. I don't want any part of that racing. Imagine just going. <laughs> imagine know. going to a go kart track and you've got twenty of your best friends and all the carts are the same, and it's just like the carnage that ensues when you're at a go kart track with your friends. Um, of people getting turned around and flipped and all this stuff. I mean, at the lead group of this race, there was 18 guys at one point that were literally late, in the lead group. Late I mean, in the was, race, like with oh. like eight laps to go, there's still 18 people in or something. Four, it, was, it was incredible. I was just sitting there going like, what? Something's going to happen. Because the one thing about Moto2 that can be very interesting is when you have a group that tightly packed and they, they left it so late for people. Oh. I mean, the first guy to go out, Artigas, he 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 only missed seven laps, and then the yeah. next guy was Salik. He only missed six laps, and then the only other three that that didn't finish, they were four laps away from the end. I mean, yes. it, the group of people was insane. And but bef- before we really talk about the race, the thing yeah. that we need to talk about is the fact that seven people started from pit lane. So the race went, and then something like what nine seconds later or something. It was forever. Like I thought that they said. Once the last rider gets past pit lane, they're going to let those seven go. These guys were often to turn one before they let the seven guys go. Now, when we start talking about those seven guys, we know that Acosta is part of that. We knew that um, that Artigas was part of that. We know that um, that Fanati was part of that. There's There were seven guys that were all a part of basically race direction, getting involved, not liking what they see with these guys looking for toes, getting onto the front straightaway. And so they basically penalize all seven guys. Now, this is the greatest part about knowing Steve English for me because um, all weekend long I was texting with Steve. We were just going back and forth, and I love it. And one of the things that he said that's such a great point to me was, and he tells me a lot of things, a lot of things I don't even bring up on the podcast because it's stuff that he's found out and known. I'd love for him to be able to tell us when, when he's on here with us. But one of the points that he makes out that I really thought was well said was he thought it was a little unfair to Acosta uh, getting this penalty, being it's his second Grand Prix. It's his second one. And you're throwing him in with the likes of a Fanati and some of these guys that have been around a while that have been in trouble in the past. And he kind of gets the same he kind of gets the same punishment as as double or triple accusers of certain things. I kind of agreed with him on that. I thought, you know. It does seem a little bit harsh that a kid that's learning and he's in his second Grand Prix, he gets that penalty uh, thrown well, out. Well, I mean, look, he did Red Bull Rookies Cup. He's the Red Bull Rookies Cup yes. you know, champion. You're under the same race direction on the same racetrack, under the same flagging system. I, I see your point there that maybe he should have been given. But I think for race direction, it's like if I'm going to punish one, I've got to punish all. And yep. honestly, if and I he, get it. If I he's in the second Grand Prix, maybe that penalty is going to get him to stop doing that, which is really what these penalties are for. To say, again, we stop weaving, stop uh, um, the touring laps. Like, like you got to get on with this thing. All right. And so so you go, OK, we're going to slap you guys with a penalty and you're going to start from pit lane. You know what? Your race is over. But not not exactly. That's not, no. Well, that's not let's exactly. talk. <laughs> Um, Godzilla. let's, let's, let's talk about, we can get to the results in a minute, but you know, when you sit there and you watch all the craziness that goes on in these qualifying sessions, practice sessions, guys waiting for toes, guys stopping at the end of pit lane. To me, it looks lame. I hate it. Now you and I have talked about this a lot of how, how dangerous it is and how stupid it is and how crazy it is. And it doesn't seem 
to me that that race direction has a way of stopping this. Um, and you know, Greg, I'm going to play devil's advocate for two seconds on this thing because this was like kind of the third thing, second thing that you and I wanted to talk about in 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 a little bit of extent because we talked about the Miller Mirror thing. This to me, this race direction thing is out of control um, with how much they want to get involved and on all the on all sides of things now. In this particular case, there's a safety aspect of it that race direction has to get in control of. And, and it doesn't matter what they do. I mean, what a slap in the face to them that they penalize seven guys starting from pit lane. The guy wins the race from pit lane, right? I mean, it's like there was no there was no penalty, really, if you like know what that, I mean. How, like, how'd that work out for you? Yeah, how'd that work out for you? So basically then you've got these seven guys that have got to get through this carnage of people in front of them, which makes it great for us, the fan. We loved it. We loved the story. The fact that Acosta, you know, second race out comes out and wins. Uh, absolutely amazing. Okay. I love it, but they haven't been able to find something now on the flip side, Greg, how many incidents have we actually seen by these guys doing all this craziness? Hardly any. I don't think I've seen one. Like, Maybe we're just making too big of a deal of it. Maybe we just got to let people get on with it and do, hey, do whatever the hell you want. But the problem is, is that we see the potential of an incident happening. So they want to make sure that that doesn't happen. So they're trying their best to try to figure out a way. And I think I've got one way that they haven't thought of that I think could, and you're going to laugh because you're thinking I'm joking, but I really do believe there's one thing that they can do where I think that they could curb all of this stuff right off the bat. For those who I mean? do, for those who don't do it, you give them Reese's peanut butter cups. Nah, you, you, no, mm. no. I'm being, I'm dead serious. Uh, just, just DQ them. Find the team owner. Find, yeah. There you go. You find the team owner. That team owner is going to sit down with every one of their riders and go, "Listen, you little, you know, whatever, yeah. shitheads. You cannot <laughs> do this. Okay, you literally cannot do this because." The team's getting fined. The rider's getting fined. If you make more of a point of going after the team, going after the team, because nothing's working right now. They're penalizing these guys' positions. They're taking them and starting them from pit lane. This is all based on the rider. The rider's getting penalized. If you start finding the team owner, the team owner ain't going to put up with this shit at all. Team owner's going to be like, hey. And there's going to be a lot of gray areas where somebody's going to be like, well, we did this, we did that. Now, the other thing I noticed that I really did like is that if you watch Moto3 qualifying, the, the Red Bull KTM team, the Leopard team, they set their riders out together. So there wasn't as much riffraff as, like, in other words, they just said, you two guys go out together. You guys go do the laps together. Don't get caught up with slowing down or being, and they did it. They literally would leave pit lane and they just got right on with it. And I did like that there was a time where teammates kind of got together and went out and did their thing. Um, but I think that, I don't know of another way to go. And until you start finding somebody that's maybe not, it's not really fair to find the team owner, but the team owner will put a, a kibosh on this thing right away. Yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, it's worth a try at this point because what they're doing isn't working. It's no. just not working. And getting to the results, Acosta comes from pit lane, just an insane race um, with all these guys going at each other. Uh, Darren Binder ends up second. A tremendous job for him. I think he's going to be very happy leaving Doha the way he is leaving it. Antonelli ends up third. Mino, Toba led this race for a number of laps. We'd seen him win before at this track. Guevara ends up sixth. Sasaki seventh. Yamanaka 
uh, Jami Masier, our winner from before, he ends up ninth in this one. Fanati, another pit lane starter, comes from pit lane and ends up 10th. You could really see how happy he was to see uh, Acosta at the end of the race. Those two guys worked tremendous together to get themselves up to that front. Uh, Jason DePasquier, uh, he ends up 11th. Suzuki, Rodrigo, Koffler, Uni end up being your final top 15 as far as the points go. Now, Greg, there was another incident in this race that we saw, and it goes right back to something that we talked about earlier, the draft and how it can affect things and what it did. Well, Jeremy Alcoba gets into turn one, and Greg, I don't know how. You're going to have to explain this to me. I don't know how this stuff doesn't happen more often. I mean, there were times when these guys were eight and nine wide going into turn one, wasn't there? Eight and nine wide. Yeah, yeah like insane. Like it's the feel, I think the race feel that you have to have to just know that someone is in your blind spot over to the yeah. left and in your blind spot over to the right and be able to slot in there and, and not do it in an aggressive manner that's going to cause people to crash out is it's just a testament to how experience really plays into this thing. I mean, it's just another example of how Pedro Acosta at 16 years old coming in, winning from pit lane, the, the amount of people he had to get through to do it and the danger I'm sure of doing that. But yeah, I mean, the incident that happened on the front straightaway was, it was gnarly. It looked gnarly. Um, obviously, you know, after the incident uh, between John McPhee and Alcoba, as Alcoba's bike, you know, hit Jeremy McPhee in the head, that it was a scary moment. Yep. So basically, Alcoba gets sucked into the draft. He hits the back of Bender, who's McPhee's teammate. As he's trying to miss him, he's doing everything he can to miss Bender. He stands the bike upright. It was a screw-up. Alcoba made a mistake. No big deal. He did. He made a mistake. He paid for it. But the problem was, poor McPhee, he pays for it too. Second week in a row, I feel actually really horrendous for John McPhee because he's just been in the wrong place at the wrong time two times. I've heard nothing but tremendous things about John McPhee through some of the people that we know. Uh, just what a good guy he is and this and that. He ends up, though, taking an exhaust to the forehead uh, and, and, and crashing, okay? And fair play to him. He gets up, runs over to Alcoba, gives him a, a little kick. Then he's getting to a little scuffle. Who gives a shit? I don't care. Um, I'm sure McPhee looks back on it and goes, ah. But at the end of the day, who cares? Like, they, it was a mess up. They, they were both obviously okay. There was nobody laying there with broken limbs. Nobody went over and kicked somebody while they're laying on the ground. But then yesterday, they come out with McPhee has to put this press release out that's not even written by him, I'm sure, talking about how sorry he is that he did this. Who cares? Like, like I am so over the, the idea of all these athletes or people or whoever having to apologize for this or apologize for that. Or Look, at the end of the day, you're in a very intense sport. You said it very early in this podcast that there's a lot of adrenaline. There's a lot of things going on. Sometimes people lose their heads. Sometimes things happen. Um, at the end of the day, both guys are going to be fired up. Alcoba's probably pissed off that he fell. McPhee probably feels like Alcoba made the biggest mistake, and that's two weekends in a row that McPhee, get, McPhee gets taken out. He's frustrated. So he goes over there. The kick didn't even land, but then they got into a little scuffle. But, Craig, they both got helmets on. They both got protective gear. Who cares? Yeah, they're both set up to crash at over 150 miles an hour, and they're, and, yep. they're, and they're getting a little bit of a fight. I mean, who cares? I understand why you need to make a statement. I do. You know, it's, yep. the, it's the culture that we live in, and the reality is, is that we don't go racing without the fans. And if the fans, some of them, are demanding that, and 
there's also corporations involved. You know, you're representing Patronus. You're representing. I get all that. Right. Like you, I, I get all that as well. So I understand the statement, and yep. I, and and I thought the statement was was well worded. You know, was well worded. Um, you know, he says that he apologizes for his conduct. That you know, he he didn't react well to the incident. I love he didn't talk about it. I love how he didn't mention Alcoba. No, he didn't. Thing. He didn't apologize. And he doesn't need to. No, he doesn't need to. So, and and yeah, same thing. I've heard nothing but great things about John McPhee as a, as a human being. And that's important. You know, I mean, like, look, I'm not putting, you know, John McPhee in, in Nikki Hayden's category. It's not what I'm saying. But one of the things, you know, the reason why Nikki Hayden's legend lives on is not strictly because of Nikki Hayden's racing. Right. Nikki Hayden was a good human being. He had an 100%. impact in a lot of people's lives and he made people feel very special about themselves. And that is a huge thing when you are, you know, in the public eye and you build a reputation on those types of things. And John McPhee from everybody that I've spoken with said he is a top notch guy. And you yep. know what? We are in a sport that's very emotional. It's, it's the weirdest thing for me, for people to say, I want close racing. I want fastest motorcycles i want to see people sliding i want to see people this i want to see you know i mean even listen to the commentators this is the first time a wheel has turned in anger right it's like well, i don't even know what that means but i get it you know like what they're trying to build there but yet when someone gets crashed out or is involved in an incident and maybe john didn't see the fact that it was created by a situation he's just caught up in the moment and emotions happen it happens you know it no does. one no one got hurt from those emotions I understand it all from both perspectives. I'm glad to see that a statement went out. I'm glad to see that he didn't gush to apologize to everybody in the world. And I thought it was a, a solid statement. I don't know if he wrote it, but he he definitely looks like he had some influence in it. And as far as I'm concerned, it's over. Let's move on. He'll be back at the front. He'll be back to winning races, hopefully. You know, hopefully this isn't one of those, you know, soul-crushing events. We got two weeks to think about it. And I think everything's gonna be fine. But yeah, but like, look, so what they've done now is they've penalized McPhee 10 seconds at the start of the race at Portimao. They've they've done five seconds for Alcoba. I mean, okay, so let me let me let me try to explain something that I don't get, okay? What are you penalizing Alcoba for? Because I'll tell you right now, if a guy comes over and swings at me or throws a kick at me, he's getting one back, regardless. Okay. So it's like Alcoba made a mistake in the race. You're not penalizing for what happened. There, obviously. I mean, it's a mistake. It's a racing incident. It sucks. Um, he didn't mean to hit Bender, and for sure, he took himself out of the race with a pretty big accident. So I hate to break it to you, but you're penalizing a guy and starting him for pit lane for five seconds when the reality of it is you're going to defend yourself, Greg. If I came up to you, G-Dub, and I took a swing at you. Um, or a floppy uh, ankle kick. A floppy flop, ankle My kick. ankle's good. It's good. Um you know, the thing is, though, is it's like there comes a point where race direction needs to just chill out. Like, it's a joke to me that that you're starting guys from pit lane. It's just stupid. It's it's not even racing. You're, these guys are going to the next race. Why even bother showing up? So the thing is, is I go, okay, crash happens. A kick was had. They had a scuffle. Yeah. How is that any more dangerous than what Jack Miller did to John Muir? It's not. And the thing is, is that there's no consistency. That's the, that's the problem. The problem is there's no consistency. And, that, and that's zero. It's like they make the rules up as they go along. And I'm sure, you know, people are going to sit there and say to me, oh, Jay, it's in the rule book. Look right here. I, okay, I don't care. The thing is, is that penalizing somebody from starting from pit box at any race to me is absolutely insane. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's like, it's like 
the put teams them on the are back spent. You you're basically penalizing the whole team. That's what you're doing. You're penalizing the whole team. And and there's a group of people that are going and and supporting the series and putting a lot of money into it. I don't care that those two guys had a scuffle. Who gives you shit? Like it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if they come out and do their stupid little apology letters that I think is ridiculous too. Like you and I we we agree to disagree a little bit on that. I, the world that we live in to me is so soft that 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 we have to do that kind of stuff. On one sense, in one sense, the Dorna guys are like, ooh, we're loving this. This is great. We've got conflict. We've got we've got a story. That's awesome. Look at these two guys hating each other. Oh, but let's penalize them as well. It it's, it's crap to me. Well, I see, to me, it. to me, a penalty is supposed to alter behavior, right? Like there's a speed limit sign for a reason. Let, let's yep. just say it's it's for safety. It's not. Speed limits are bullshit, and I don't even want to talk about revenue generating <laughs> and all that stuff, all right? But yep. let's just say, for argument's sake, that we we listen to what they say and say, a speed limit sign is there for your safety. If you break the law and you get caught, you're going to get a fine. Your insurance is going to go up. So it, it, it controls people's behavior. People are like, oh, my God, I've gotten two tickets. I can't do this, or I don't want to be pulled over. Whatever it is, it controls behavior. Tell me this. If you're those two guys... And they get together again and they hit the deck and they are in the moment angry and they're going to lunge at each other and both stop and go, oh, wait, hold on a second. I don't want to get a five second penalty from pit lane. Yeah. It doesn't seem to me that that would be the case. It's no, it's not. It's like it's to me. I just I get frustrated, you know, when you see race direction involved with everything. I don't need to know that you're in that that. That there's a, I, I, I hate more than anything in the world when the little scroll comes across saying race directions investigating. Stop it. Who gives you shit? I don't care what you're investigating. They're investigating the contact between Mir and Jack Miller. Right, listen, we're, 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 an hour, we're an hour and 13 minutes in this podcast. I told no one you wants to hear you this one. angry. So let's oh, just move. Let's just move away. shits me. All right, oh. Guys. oh, my God. All right. So uh, they're racing in a couple weeks. We'll keep you posted on that crap. But let's move on to Mo- MotoGP Fantasy. Because in MotoGP Fantasy, which is, by the way, like you can just, you know, it's it's the Moto- uh, fantasy.motogp.com. We, we have now talk about this over a couple hundred. Oh, yeah, we do. Only have, we have over a couple hundred people in our league, the Greg's Garage pod with Jason Pridmore, because it was it, our name's too long to get it in there. So that's, that's why <laughs> yeah. I had to leave out the co-host. But anyway, uh, in that um, Daytona 85 leads the way on a solid point scoring run, uh, 136 and a half points in that one. Great job. NH69 fan forever in second place. Ollie699 in third place. But let's just move on to the people that we really want to talk yeah, about, yeah, which is yeah. cool. I, I am. In, I'm taking a beating. Yeah, I'm in 77th place. So I slept yeah. like seven, seven positions. <laughs> but yeah, you. Stink. I can't see. I can't see 76. I'm, you stink. I, hey, it's bad. I'm getting beat by you. I'm getting smoked by you. That's oh. that's the kind of season I'm having. I'm 142nd. Oh! That's painful. Ouch. It's bad. I, I ain't gonna lie. I am really, really bad. I have definitely found the fantasy slump right now between Supercross and MotoGP. I am on the struggle bus bad. Yes. Join us. It's fun. We're going to be giving away some live Moto America Live Plus passes at some point coming up soon. The winner of this whole thing gets to win an awry helmet of their choice. It's tons of fun. Get some friends involved. It's great texting. I text with probably seven or eight different people from different worlds that are involved in it, meaning That's archery great. and cycling and some other some other stuff I'm involved with. So it's, it's a ton of fun. Um, so, yeah, Not, join us in that one. It, it is. It moves on. It's a long season. 
Um, we'll explain on a shorter podcast. We'll explain more about the, the details and the rules. And obviously we'll get fantasy tips, from Jason Pridmore, on how to really, you know, get yourself into the solid 100s. Uh, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll I'll get catch you. Don't worry. I got a lot of races left. Uncle Skip and Chuck, they're going to be, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's just not, not, none of it's good right now when it comes to the fantasy stuff. I'm going to end up owing right now. And that doesn't make me happy. Greg, you and I last <laughs> week, we did our podcast Last Tuesday, this time, we were in Austin, Texas at Coda. Lucky enough to climb that big tower. I really love that with my boy Russ. We got to climb that thing and, and check that whole thing out, which was, which was fun. But more importantly, we were there for the test to see kind of what the Moto America team's shakedown was going to be. Now, I will tell you this. Tell me. The, major, the majority of the talk this year has been about the new fresh and lean attack Yamaha performance team coming on board, getting Josh Heron back uh, with Gagne. Um, and then, of course, Loris Baz coming over from Europe and running on that warhorse Ducati. I think everybody was really intrigued by what was going on. But, man, the guy that steals the show, Bobby Fong, at the end of the day, goes the quickest lap. What was it, like a 208.2? Yep. So he ends up just impressing as he always does. And I don't know why it didn't surprise me to see Bobby do that because I rate Bobby Fong. I think he's just – just gets on with his business and does this thing. Um, uh, and I don't know why I should act at all like surprised to see Bobby Fong go first. But I think that I think that, that it sends a pretty big message across overseas. I think that there's a lot of people that were thinking that Baz was going to come here. He was going to be quickest right off the bat. Um, that which was he me, was. Which he was which, on Tuesday. Which 100%. And I kind of figured that that was going to kind of be the way it went down. And when you look at it, it ends up being uh, Bobby Fong quickest. And Greg, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Jake Gagne was second quickest. I know. Baz, I believe, was second quickest. Was he second from quickest? From Tuesday okay. at a 208.595. Yep. But Got all from Tuesday, correct. Yes. 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 On Wednesday, Wednesday conditions were a little bit shitty too. They were really blustery and windy. Um, and and the fact that, that Bobby ends up going 208.3 is, is pretty solid. They were working on some things. They they uh, changed the swing arm overnight that they had a problem with. Uh, so that made a big difference for him. <clears throat> and I think that when you look at uh, at what Bobby accomplished, I think it did send a message back over to Europe that, hey, our guys are really on it. What you're seeing Cam Bobier, Joe Roberts, and, of course, Garrett Gerloff from World Superbike doing, our series is going to be competitive this year. Nobody's just going to lay over and roll over just because Baz is coming to town. Um, Loris looked amazing. He did a bunch of laps on that Ducati. I mean, he put in some race distance laps on that bike, looked very happy with things. Um, and then I, I think the guy for me though, when I look at the test, the guy I felt like has improved during the off season a ton is Jake Gagne. No question. He looked, he looked different to me. He looked different. He was riding the bike different. He will be a good guy to get on the podcast here soon, uh, and have a, and have a talk with him, uh, about things. And, um, but I, but I really believe that, that Jake Gagne just looks like a different rider. He does look like a different rider. The setup of the bike is a little bit different. He's got a new crew chief this year, uh, kind of going in a little bit of a different direction, a little more consistent. Jake's really focused on being smoother, you know, not upsetting the chassis as much, not putting as much load in the tire. He looks phenomenal. You know, between him and um, um, Westby Racing, you know, with Matthew Skultz, they all finished within the, you know, doing a 208, 208 yep. compared to where we were in 2019 is fast. Really, really fast. It's fast. Heron had a 208.9, I think was the fastest, like a high nine 
uh, as the fastest race lap ever done. The 2081, I think is 2017 or 18, is the lap record on a super bike by that little guy, uh, Roger Hayden. Yep. But that Better was on Hayden a gumball. Was. That was on a, a Dunlop Q. You know, yep. so so you've got to look at it and go, okay, fine. These guys are quicker. They are lapping quicker. So we're seeing improvement. I think really the tell telltale sign is going to be what happens at Road Atlanta. You know, for Loris Baz, he's been to Coda before. He's confident that Ducati. Uh, they've got a lot of information. They're plugged in directly to the factory. So the bike was sorted out relatively quickly, I think. Yep. You know, yep. Uh, they're, they're, you know, as I found out last year, there are calculations that they can do from either World Superbike bikes or even MotoGP bikes that allow the translation. So if like they were running this gearing with this type of tire, blah, 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 blah. So the only, the, you know, the only thing that Ducati has done differently, as I found out from, um, from Paolo Ciabatti is, all they did was just take the 3D modeling of the Dunlop tire that we have in the United States. They plugged that in. They got the 3D model and they recalibrate the entire system based off of the size of that tire and the flex of that tire, those types of things. And so yep. that's really the only big thing they've done. So Baz was just working, 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 working. But yep. I think what was really impressive to me was they did a shakedown test at Crescent, but really it was his first time on the bike and he yep. put in so many laps. But that was the first time the M4X Star Suzuki team with Bobby Fong and Cam Peterson had a chance to test all year. So it's not surprising to me that he went quickest, like, you know, at the very end of the last session because they're working, 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 working. So I think the thing is, is how long is it going to take Loris to get up to speed at Road Atlanta, which is, according to his account, going to be the only track that he's not seen before he gets to race that track. So. He's fast, Jason. I know there's no home field advantage like we've talked about. Yeah. Road Atlanta is tricky. You are going to waste some laps trying to figure out which way it turns. It yeah, it won't be. That's an, it's an easy one, though, G-Dub, to learn. Honestly, there's going to be there's going to be a couple of areas that he's going to have to figure out. But he'll. It, it's not. It, Road Atlanta is just not a hard track to learn. Uh, it's it's very one-lined all the way down through the S's and things like that. He's going to get used to have to get used to coming off that back straightaway going down the hill, like finding his markers and his brake markers. That'll take him. That'll take him six laps most. Um, going up under the bridge, seeing how that kind of goes. The first couple laps will take a little time. And then, of course, at the top of the hill in turn two, um, there'll be things that he'll have to just kind of suss out. But it's not going to be difficult for him. The other thing we need to mention, too, Jason, is is that Josh Aaron, you know, coming, coming on that freshly attacked performance, he ends up in fifth place. He put up a post, and I spoke with him, too that he'd been struggling to kind of get something sorted out on the bike until like the very end, like literally five minutes to go. Stamboli made a big change to Josh's motorcycle that prevented, I can't remember what it was, Jay. It was like, I don't know if it was wheel spin or something. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting because that conversation was last week. But if you talk to Heron about it, he basically said, yeah, we finally got everything sorted in the last five minutes. And he said, so I was able to go like over a second faster just in a couple of laps. So he actually leaves that test fifth overall, not a lot of conversations, but he's really pumped. He's really, he's pumped about his performance, but what Josh did tell me, and he did say that I could say this, and what we didn't know at the test at the time was that he actually in the gym working out dislocated his shoulder and uh, his, his right shoulder, I think. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's. That sucks. I mean, it was still hurting a little bit from the test, but it didn't affect him. Like Coda is very left dominant, right? It is, but there's a lot of places where you're, especially through those initial S's where your upper body's going to get worked a little bit. And, um, you know, and self admittedly, he'll tell you, like he, he said to me, he's like, Jay, cause I just got to get better at testing. And 
I think with I think when Josh gets to a track and if the bike is really good and he's kind of setting the pace, I think testing comes easy. But when the pace is being pushed and he can't quite find that extra second that he ended up kind of finding, obviously at the end of the day, second second day. I mean, it was great that he's able to leave there with a little little bit of confidence um, in himself and, and the team. And and again, too, we got to talk also about Cam Peterson. His debut on that bike, um, he looked great. And he was just doing the things that you would expect a guy like Cam to do, kind of working through whatever he needed to work through with the team, getting used to what a superbike feels like again um, for him. Um, obviously, we've seen him on um, the Honda Superbike a few years back. This is a whole other Cam Peterson that we're seeing right now, though, compared to what we've seen in the past. A very successful season last year. I reckon that you're going to see kind of the rise of him again in this class where he'll be able to – He's got a teammate right now who led the way. That's actually going to help Cam a little bit. That gives you confidence as kind of a, if, a second rider, if you will. Um, also, between Bobby and Cam, they both work with Hayes a lot with Josh. So, the you know, there, there's going to be some camaraderie you would hope between the three of those guys. I think Cam's going to have a, a good year. Uribe ended up back there as well, just back uh, behind Cam with David Anthony. I know that Jason had a had a pretty high speed crash at the end of the day on the second day, but it sounded like he was okay, which was good. Um, and by the way, I just have to say, Ashton Yates was there on that new CBR 1000RR-RR. Yes. And dude, that bike, I mean, it was stock body work and everything, but they did stock have everything. They, they had gearing and they had a, a, like a Hindle pipe, I think on it, which was, yeah, you know, like, but you know, because that bike's been out in Europe for a while, there were some rear sets and things they were able to get from Europe, but dude, that bike just sounds good. It, it's, it's fast completely stock. I mean, there's not a lot you can do it in stock thousand anyway, but it's, um, yeah, it looks good. And, and he's happy with the bike. He's happy with the performance of it. And so, you know, that's super bike cup and stock thousand are going to be good races this year. It's all it's yeah. And in, you know, a lot of our super stock thousand guys, super bike cup guys weren't there. Um, so it was good to see Ashton getting to put that bike through its paces a little bit and have him getting used to the thing. So I think overall, you know, and then we had Escalante, Escalante was there, um, pretty dominant on the 600s, although SDK got closer to him at the end. Um, we saw a couple of guys make their debut. Sam Lockoff was there riding around on a 600. Rocco. Yep, and Rocco was there, obviously, uh, riding on a, a Yamaha R6 as well. Um, I just think that it's kind of a strange place. Neither one of those two kids had been to that track before. I don't really think the conditions were perfect. It's hard to find time at Coda, too. Like You've got to do some laps around there to try to kind of find a little bit of time. It's a very long lap. So piecing it together, um, it's a very interesting place. But I think that uh, moving forward, I mean, Atlanta is coming up. It's, it's. I can't believe we're we're in race month, aren't we? We are. Yeah. We are the in first, race month. First day is the last day of it. April. April, yeah. so we May 1, May 2 are race days. It's coming up fast, and I am pumped. And I love the stuff that our TV production crew was doing with all the riders, and we got to do. We got to be involved in a little bit of that stuff too. Roger that, Hayden and Bunny Ears is just. The oh, best. I got the best picture of Corey Alexander and Bunny Ears, and I forgot to post it on Easter. Um, you have issues. I have to, I'll have to save it. Yeah, it was a, it, you know, it was a pretty good one as well. Um, but it was good to see all the teams out there. Saw so, uh, we we met some new kids, which are going to be in uh, the Junior Cup class. Uh, there was only a couple guys there, I think, on the Twins class. I think Chris Lilligard was there. Um, there was only a couple of Twins Cups anyway. So yeah, two, I think, yeah. Yeah, so moving on, we will, uh, we're will we going to look forward, obviously, to to uh, 
the season and, and what we've got in store for us here just in a couple short weeks. So I am riding a motorcycle to the races, uh, Hudson Valley Motorcycles, which is in New York, uh, Ducati. But we're going to talk more about that in another podcast because uh, I'm going to ride to Road Atlanta and there's, you know, I'm going to be doing video and a bunch of stuff. So yeah, great. Why, don't, why don't we just move straight into um, World Superbike Test because they had two days at Catalonia. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, there's so much on this show to talk about. But the one thing that never really seems to change Jonathan Ray's quickest. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, that, and, and it's funny because, you know, Pierre Reba said, Reba says, you know, Johnny's crew chief says, I don't think I've ever, you know, it just seems like Johnny keeps getting better. Like he finds new motivation. And I tell you, the motivation is going to come by the guys he has chasing him. At the end of the day, Johnny Ray goes in minute 40.2 to lead the world Superbike test. Second, Scott Redding at a 40.4. And how about Garrett Gerloff? Garrett Gerloff goes 40.4 as well, two-tenths off. Fastest Yamaha at that test. Really have to say I'm impressed by Garrett. And the guy ended up fourth. Jonas Folger ends up fourth on the BMW. You've got four different manufacturers occupying the top four. Great to see MotoGP healthy. Great to see World Superbike healthy. Michael Rubin Rinaldi ends up fifth. Sykes, sixth. Alex Lowe's. Uh, ends up seventh. Talking to Alex a little bit that I did, he never did a time attack at the end. He strictly worked on a couple of issues that they were trying to get sorted for him, getting him more comfortable on the bike. He ends up seventh, but left there very positive. Andrea Locatelli, World Supersport Champion, uh, uh, new member to the Pata Yamaha team. He ends up in eighth. And Greg, he's only, what was he, just under a second off a of race time. Pretty impressive stuff. Chaz Davis ends up ninth. Haslam ends up tenth. So those are those are your top ten. I think that when I look at this results of everybody here, the one thing that comes glaring out of me, and I want to reach out to him, is Michael Vandemark in fourteenth on that BMW. This is the third brand of bike he's been on in World Superbike. Uh, we know, remember, we saw him, I think, with Honda uh, at one point, and then uh, well, for the majority, I mean, he won Suzuka eight hours with Honda as well. Then he went to the Yamaha team and had some success there. He gets signed on as Sykes' teammate, but he ends up uh, 15th, Greg, um, and two seconds off of where Johnny Ray was. Yeah, but if you look at just like the lap totals and and when they set their fastest lap, you can see, you know, Ray put his fastest lap in 65 of 66. You know, Redding did it 80 of 81. Gerloff did it 65 of 69, although I don't think Garrett actually was able to maximize his his softer tire, I think. Uh, yep. But if you go back and look, like a Chaz Davis, he did 58 laps, but he set his fastest lap on lap four. Or like you're saying, Lowe's, 29, lap 29 of 75. You can kind of get an yep. indication there that they're working on race stuff. They're working on race stuff. But how, yes. about, how about Tito Rabat, dude? 111 laps he did in one day. That's one day. Yeah. And he sets his time 97. So yeah, if you look at it and, and you look at like Michael Vandemark, he did his fastest lap on lap six of 62. That would be an indicator to me that they never got to the point where they wanted to even throw in a soft tire and go for it, or they did and it just didn't work out, right? So, Correct. But so, but but you know, I look at Garrett Gerloff right now, and I had a conversation with Ben Spees yesterday, Jason. Actually, a couple hours we were on the phone wrapping out about some things, and you know, he's pretty close with Garrett and has has helped Garrett, you know, and his transition over to Europe. And the thing that's interesting is that we were talking about. I said to him, you know, like when does Garrett Gerloff and his team really start to transition to championship mode. Because if you remember, Ben Spees won the championship in his rookie year. And he said, really, for them, it was basically race three, where he started to go to championship mode for him because he knew that he could win races over there. And he said, they've already been talking about it. You know, it's already started for them. It's not like 
it just seems like Garrett's had his coming out party. He's arrived now. So now you start getting into championship and Ben Spees is convinced as I am. And I'm sure you are that Garrett Gerloff is a top three finisher, you know, oh. in this championship, I think, yes. you know, this season, no. if he can really keep it together. Yeah. And, and you just got to think that the promise that he's showing right now over there is, has definitely turned a lot of heads. I mean, he's, I don't want to say he surprised me. He hasn't really surprised me. We knew he was fast. I mean, we knew how good he is. And, uh, you know, I just think it's so cool to see all of our guys over there right now killing it. I think it bodes well for our championship as well, Greg. So, um, yeah, no, it's good. All right. So on next week's show, we are going to have Kyle Wyman on as a guest because Kyle has got a ton of new stuff coming on. I don't know if, you know, if you've heard, you've seen that uh, Kyle is actually going to be uh, sponsored by a non-industry sponsor for the first round of the season, at least, uh, Panera Bread. So we'll talk to him and, and see if we can finagle some pre food out of him, Jason. Um, so we'll, we'll be able to get, I like Panera. I don't know about you. You know, I is, mean, there all, Panera, is there, I wonder if there's a Panera in, uh, there's gotta be a Panera in Gainesville in Georgia. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a Panera bread in Gainesville. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll be hitting that up a hundred percent. Um, in addition to that, uh, we're going to be talking about Supercross because Supercross is now back in action. Atlanta one. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to talk about Atlanta two because I have to be in Vegas on Wednesday with some archery stuff, but we're, we're going to sort that out because, um, Atlanta two is that Tuesday night, 13th. So, Oh, so I, yeah, th- this is just so funny. Cause if you guys knew what we do to, to try to schedule it to where we could do our podcast, <laughs> uh, I'll be at Chuck Walla. I leave this Thursday for Chuck Walla and I don't come home for like nine days. I'm at I Chuck know. Walla again forever. I know. Well, actually my I, house, my house has no water right now. I have a leak and I've shut the water off from outside in. That's how dedicated to this podcast I am. Everything's on well, hold. I'll say this. You're going off to Vegas. I'm going to be at Chuck Walla. You know, they're not that far apart, and it is a race weekend, G-Dub, and I bet you there'd be a bike if, you know. I'm going through a tunnel right now. I beg your pardon. I had to hand the clock I had to give the leather, leathers back to our, our Alpine Stars. So I don't did, they, did they make you sign them? Are they on a wall somewhere? <laughs> no. They're, somebody else gets to wear them. They're going into a rotation. Poor bastard. Wow. Poor. All right, look ahead to the week's race calendar. Supercross 1 is Saturday night, 2 on Tuesday. So if you're involved in fantasy – Jason, plug your ears for a second. If you're involved in fantasy, don't forget to get your picks in. Uh, yes. Mid-South mid South Cross Country is in Hurricane Mills, Tennessee, one of my favorite spots in the country in the summer. The NGPC series is in 29 Palms in California over the weekend. So, Jay, you could go watch that series if you want to peel away from Chuck Walla. AMA East Hair Scrambles in Vanceboro, North Carolina. AMA Extreme Championship East and West in Bridgeport, Texas. And then the AMA Off, uh, by the way, the, the AMA East, or, sorry, AMA Extreme Championship used to be that AMA Off-Road Extreme. It's gnarly off-road stuff, dude. Anyway, that's about it for this podcast. Anything else that you would like to add to this? Greg's Man, Ride to the Races. It was a long one today. It was a long one, but it was a good one, I think. What? How long would this one go on for, Greg? Would one you... one hour, 34 wow. minutes as we speak right now and with no edits. And, and I can't thank everybody for listening this deep into the podcast. Yeah, and not only that, sure. I watched Greg edit a podcast last week in the hotel room. This guy put six hours – he put six hours into this podcast. I mean, it's insane how much time he put into it. So thanks, G-Dub. Thanks to all our listeners. Great couple of weeks. Let's watch some Supercross this week and uh, enjoy the rest of your time. 